Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. And the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And we are two guys that used to date, and now we don't. Nope. Now we talk about movies. Yep. <laughs> That's our mission statement. Um, here's our CV. <laughs> our resume is available upon request. And uh, you can find us on LinkedIn, maybe. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm on it or not. <laughs> Well, that's how we met. <laughs> LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I did over the weekend? What's that? I saw a Blood Squad show. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, long-time listeners may uh, remember us saying, if we've actually even mentioned this on an episode, <laughs> uh, but Ryan and I met at a Blood Squad show. They're an improv horror comedy troupe. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of every show, someone shouts out the name of a made-up horror movie, and then they make up a movie around that title. I believe the title of the one we went to was Don't Go in the Attic or in the Basement. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and you were opening for them. You were their opening act. Yeah, that was when they used to do it uh, the other way around where they'd have a band open for the comedy group. This oh. was the People's Republic of Comedy yeah. uh, Laugh Hole, I believe it was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they'd have a band perform before the comedy rather than the other way around. You don't see a lot of comedians open for bands no, these days. No, but I saw, yeah, I saw like Tignataro open for Jens Lechman and... I know the Bobcat Goldthwait opened for Nirvana. I think we should bring that back. Yeah. I don't see why comedy and music can't meld I don't see together. some shitty local band opening for, like, you know, the headliner that I'm there to see. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I was awesome back then. <laughs> uh, or the reverse, the reverse. Having, yeah, some... Dance Electronica one-man show, <laughs> preempt a, a comedy outing. Yeah. Well, in this case, both parts were really great. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, so what was the name of the Blood Squad movie that they did? Uh, Blood on the Table. Oh, no. <laughs> and it, it somehow twisted, as it does, into an allegory for the patriarchy. <laughs> but yeah, it was solid. They still got it. It's funny to see them do some of like the same sort of tricks that they did like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Like uh, one of them, whenever the scene is is going in a direction he doesn't like or his character gets asked something he doesn't have an answer for, he just goes poof. And like, he's like, and then he disappeared. (laughs) I'm like, oh, he's been doing that for like 12, 13 years. I'm just going to put this out there. What if we invited them to come on the podcast? I have thought about that before. Yes. Do you even know them? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm inviting strangers into your home, so just want to make sure that's not what's what's no, going. I know on. them well enough. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Blood Squad, reach out. Let us know. Uh, so you moved recently. I did move recently. Yeah. You know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Moving sucks. Yeah. It's just the worst thing. And this time, I even sprung for movers, and it was still just an emotional toll. On my brain, on me and my brain. <laughs> is it the trip down memory lane that is just exhausting, or is it the physical act of packing that's that's tough? Part of it's packing. Part of it is the um, having to go through old stuff. A part of it is just like adjusting my brain to where the silverware is now in the kitchen. <laughs> sure, just sure. like things like that. I just feel exhausted. I want to be able to just you know, reach for something in the kitchen and know that like, that's where that is. I don't want to have to think 
Now, where is that? You know, that's what causes me to get really tired. Yeah, I, the kitchen is the hardest thing, I think, to get settled into. Yeah. Like, once the couch is where it is, you know where to, like, rest your butt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but every kitchen's different. And there's, like, a logical space where you think things should go. And then getting used to it, like, getting it down to muscle memory. Yeah, it takes a while. It's like, you know, whenever you go into someone else's kitchen, you know, you never just open the right cabinet first. You know, you got to explore a little bit. Yeah, and that's what it's like now. It's like being in someone's bedroom. (laughs) But you're in their kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Either way, I'm having sex. (laughs) How are the movers? Oh, wow. I just want to give a shout out to my moving company. This was Uplift Movers. Mm -hmm. They did a stellar job and they were handsome little brutes that, um, (laughs) God, they they were just like these really strong, good smelling teddy bears. You got close were, enough to get a whiff, did you? <laughs> well, they just, I think they wore like a lot of deodorant so they weren't smelly because, you know, they were sweating. <laughs> and, and you're just like, and they smelled like spices. They, <laughs> old spices. <laughs> they were burly and they could lift things, it, like things that would take me, you know, a good five minutes to do on my own. They were doing that plus an extra box and just like walking down the stairs like it was no big deal. And uh, I almost honestly started crying when they started doing it because it was just so beautiful how fast they were working and getting through it. I was like, it's working. Getting movers is actually working. Did you go, oh, my ankle. I need you to carry me down. (laughs) They did leave one of their um, rolls of plastic wrap because they were wrapping all my stuff in, you know, plastic to keep it safe. and Sure. And I texted him back and I said, hey, you left a roll. And he was like, "Uh, we'll come pick it up on Friday. Um, I was thinking, like, I need to time getting out of the shower when they show up. (laughs) Oh, here, I have it just over here. Oh, no, my towel. (laughs) No, yeah, Uplift Movers, do use them. They were great and uh, good looking. So I hope they don't hear this. transition into the app or to other talking points into the app okay into the app into the app <laughs> yeah you're gonna write a disney jingle called into the app i'm just i'm ripping off steven sondheim is what i'm doing right mm. now is he still alive i think he is actually oh wow yeah he's like old af but i'm pretty sure he is i mean we can invite him on the podcast he probably doesn't even know what a podcast is. Like, yeah. That's how old he old is. Old people don't understand podcasts. I don't know. He wrote the music to West Side Story. Maybe he's not alive. That was a long no, time ago. No, that was Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein wrote the music. Stephen Sondheim wrote the lyrics. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he did. That's like the 50s. Yeah. Or like yeah. the early 60s. What else is from the 1960s, <laughs> Ryan? Well, Matt. Oddly enough, today's movie <gasps> is from the early 60s. <sighs> it is a British thriller from 1961 called Victim. And I came across this movie whilst watching the celluloid closet. Oh, really? Yeah, they mentioned it very briefly for just a moment. Okay, I was um, going to say, I don't remember them because I was thinking about the celluloid closet. And I feel like this should have gotten quite a bit of attention in that movie. 
I think it didn't quite fit into like the argument that he was making yeah. a little bit. And so it, it was harder to fit that into the documentary. But it's mentioned. They show like the garage door scene and the part where he's having the conversation with his wife where he's like, I wanted him. I stopped seeing him because I wanted him. Do you understand? Because I wanted him. It's very brief. And I just remember being like, oh, I got to see this movie. And so when I when we watched it with the gayish guys, I wrote the name of this down. I was like, oh. I'm to check this out one day. And I watched it a couple months ago and was thinking like, we got to do this because this just seems like totally up our alley and totally for our audience if you're interested in what we like. Yeah, because I, you know, Cellular Closet is based on a book by Vito Russo. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? And so I don't know how much he goes into it in the book. Like he could devote something substantial to victim in the book but just the documentary i don't remember them talking about victim at all in yeah. closet but i was thinking like why the hell not like this is 1961 like multiple gay characters and they don't fit any stereotypes yeah if no one said like these are homosexuals <laughs> you wouldn't even really know yeah it's sort of weird it almost goes to the point like it's showing them as just regular people with you know problems of their own and things like that and that there's unjust laws against homosexuals going on but it almost does it to the point where it's like as long as you're not acting out on those urges everything's fine yeah so that almost is a little problem but uh for the most part, I mean, it's, it tackles the subject matter of homosexuality like head on. It's not really like hiding the fact that these are gays running around. Right. Know? It's not like it's homosexuality disguised as something else. Like it's not just general deviancy or something like that. Like, yeah. You know, they say homosexual in the movie. Yeah. Oh, you knew, of course, he was a homosexual. But I really really like this movie oh good I, Yay. Like, I was really happy with this one oh, I love it when I can pick a movie that you haven't seen that you like yeah no it, it was it was really good because it had a subject matter near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. but that it also played like a mystery thriller yeah like, a little the, bit of procedural thrown in there too yeah because honestly I kind of felt like this was a lot like cruising I did too I, I saw some parallels with it too Both concern sort of an investigation Into gay murders Now in this one it's Cruising was literal murders Yeah. This one it's gay men Being blackmailed And in one case to the point of suicide Right and the other to a point of having a heart attack Yeah even though none of the, the gay men Really act stereotypically gay One is like an actor and the other is a hairdresser yeah. <laughs> And then there's a construction worker, so it's the village people, you know? (laughs) They just need a Native American in there. Yes. (laughs) In both instances of Cruisin' and in Victim, because this is sort of underneath the radar of mainstream society, it's hard for them to find legal recourse. Yeah. I mean, in England at the time, it was flat out illegal to be a sodomite. Right. Uh, You know, buggering was just flat out outlawed. (laughs) No poof does allowed. (laughs) They they couldn't go to the police at all. Right. And at, you know, some point near the end of the movie, they even say that like the, uh, the ban on homosexuality was the black male's charter. I liked how the police were sort of like not so interested in prosecuting these people for um the homosexuality they wanted to get to who was doing the blackmailing because they're like this is a worse crime than what you guys are doing it's sort of like getting you know low-level drug dealers to help you get like someone higher up a little bit sure and the sergeant in this reminded me of paul sorvino's character in cruising yeah where it's like he acts sort of emotionally neutral but you can tell from just 
soft facial expressions and the way that his eyes are like looking at homophobes and bigots that his sympathies are definitely with homosexuals yeah that you know he doesn't say it he doesn't do anything outright explicitly but you can tell that internally he doesn't think that it should necessarily be a crime or that these people are like this group of people are being needlessly marginalized yeah. he even talks to his uh i don't know if it's his partner or what but the, his partner is like yeah homos are gross and he's like see you're a true puritan right here well, there's nothing wrong with that huh? of course not there was a time when that was against the law, you know. He's, he's definitely got a broader view of what's going on with this law. I like how this movie shows the sort of uh, two-facedness, the duplicity of homophobes. Mm-hmm. Like that bartender yeah. who was like, these people disgust me. And, you know, if they ever legalize it, well, they should just legalize any perversion and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, when the two gay guys walk out, he's like, have a good day. Yeah. Hopefully tomorrow, you know. <laughs> And just like, what a fucking like two faced bastard. Yeah. And he even talks about how like he's like oh, good for a laugh all right. Very witty at times. Generous too. I hate the bloody guts. And I'm like, what <laughs> what the hell is your problem? I actually liked that scene a lot because Madge, the model, uh-huh. she, she's a lot of fun. She's just like, What do you care? Which not necessarily my first choice for a model. <laughs> but she does say like modeling corsets and hot day in Rouse's. Hope they've got the studio wall. It's always the same. Mink in August and bikinis Christmas. Uh, I was like, okay. She's like in her deep 40s, but, you know, whatever. whatever. <laughs> hey, that's what, she was selling fridges, too. I don't know. She's she's <laughs> Jack of all, Jack S of all trades. Yeah. This was, uh, you know, this was London. Swing in London in the early 60s. So uh, at one point, Barrett approaches his friend, asking him for 20 quid out on the street. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend is like, I won't have him in my house. You can come home when you've gotten rid of him. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, ah, he's not even interested in you. Yeah. Maybe they had a romance or something like that briefly. I thought it seemed more like they were just friends and he found out he was gay. Because it sounds like he was later when they're in their bedroom together. He was just like, I feel sorry for him. That's all. Sorry for that? Yes. He's very lonely deep inside. Hasn't got what you and I've got, Sylvie. I like to imagine that there was a blow-and-go situation there, so... <laughs> okay, sure. Don't ruin my illusions of, of gay-on-straight blowjobs. Great, yeah, no, I'm sure it was, you know, right on the side of the road there. <laughs> They're like, bye. <laughs> I meant historically. Oh. <laughs> you know, before he was married, and he's like, well, I want to get married, but I might just be doing it to get my rocks off. Can, like, someone blow me so I can think clearly for once in my life? And uh, old Barrett was just, the right, the right, <laughs> just walking by, whistling, and howdy, doffs his cap. <laughs> it's a regular tipping the velvet moment. Just can I interest you in a pipe cleaning? <laughs> you soldier boy, over here! I'll clean your pipes right well. I will. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's that's at least the relationship I like to think that that Barrett had with his his you know straight married male friends. <laughs> okay. Or maybe his girlfriend just wouldn't blow him. Maybe you yeah. know. Maybe Barrett's real good at it. Yeah, I'm sure he is. He seemed to have gotten around. Yeah, yeah. He was everybody like all the homos in London. Yeah, because uh, there's the bookshop owner who is not my type, but mm. you know. You like him old and mustachioed, <laughs> sort of uh, Mr. Potato Head shaped. 
I think he looked a little like a mouse or a weasel, something with that mustache. Like a cartoon mouse or weasel, like yeah. a Disney character, yeah. I mean, then there's the lead, Mel, somehow lined that up from... They're not explicit about how those two met. It's sort of like, oh, I gave him a ride because he said that like the last bus had come or yeah. something like that. But... Well, maybe it's like how you and the movers turned into such a hot, <laughs> steamy situation. I don't know how that one lift transpired into like an ongoing situation. But. Yeah. Maybe Mel saw something in him too that was sort of like, oh, maybe he doesn't just want to lift. And of course, Mel is tortured because he's, you know, fighting off these homosexual urges that he has. He never acts on them, I don't think, but he's definitely raging. Yeah, he's, he's tiptoed right up to that line if, if he hasn't actually acted upon him because he's in one of the pictures yeah. where Barrett is being blackmailed for. So there's got to be something, like a kiss or something's going on. Who knows, yeah. I mean, it's 1961 British film. It can't be super duper explicit. <laughs> this Okay, so this made me think, like, do you remember how awful it was to be in the closet? Yeah. Like, every move you make, you're, like, self-conscious. You're worried people are going to find out. And, like, you can't touch people without, like, you think somebody thinking something about you. And it's just like, God, it was so awful. And, like, this is how they're just living their lives constantly. It must be horrible on your psyche. <laughs> well, I remember, because, you know, coming out of the closet isn't just, like, a, a one-time event. It's not yeah. like you make the announcement and the whole world knows. Like, it kind of takes steps. And if you meet new people or you get a new job that, like, you know, people might not know at or, like, it might be a thing. Yeah. Like, you got to come out again there. So it's like, you know... I came out to, like, all my friends, and especially right after high school, like, I just made it a point that, like, new people that I met would just know this. Like, there would be no hiding situation. So, like, new friends that I made would know first. Then, like, the circle got bigger and bigger, and family was last. But, like, during that period of time where it was, like, I was out to all, like, in my social worlds, and then, like, I'd have to, like, you know, go home for Christmas and be closeted all over again. Yeah. Like... You don't realize it, but there's, like, a weight on you then, like, on your chest. It's so stressful. Of, like, I have to censor what I say. I have to, like, walk on eggshells about this. Like, I have to think of, like, how to dance around this topic. And, mm -hmm. like, if someone asks me point blank, oh, are you seeing anyone? Like, you know, I have to, like, jump through hoops in order to, like, satisfy their curiosity without, yeah. like, outright lying to them. And just the way you hold yourself, you have to, like, you know, keep it very restrained and, like, you just want to present this image that you just aren't. And it's so difficult. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. <laughs> I could feel that pressure while watching it, like, that, like, claustrophobic feel of, like, having to be in the closet mm -hmm. in these situations. For all of them, like, no one really seemed, like, living their best life. I mean, I, they, they were able to hang out at that bar, but, like, boy. Even then, like, it's not like going to a gay bar here where, like, the bartender's on the same page as you. It's like, they went to the bar, but, like, the bartender hated them. Yeah. And they're all hanging out together, but they couldn't, like, flirt with each other. They couldn't have sex in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's even the use? I like how, or I don't like, but... They kept referring to acting on homosexual urges as a weakness. Right. And to me, that seems to imply that everybody wants to do it. 
and only these handful of people are actually doing it. It's just the 1960s England is just like this brimming sexual tension. It's this hotbed of homosexuality, <laughs> yeah. and everyone's just dying to act on it, but strength of character is what's keeping them from it. Because uh, it's referred to as a weakness multiple times in the movie. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean. Like uh, Mel is is sort of like presented as this hero because he maybe didn't act on these urges, and it's sort of like mm, I don't know if that's a strength of character, really. Yeah, I guess that sort of plays into the end when he really comes out of the closet and is going to do so publicly mm-hmm. because then he is fully admitting it, and he, he his idea is to like make the just dehumanize it, like. To make the case that, like, if I can be, like, an upright, upstanding citizen can be, then, like, anyone can be. Yeah. And that this law is unjust and that we shouldn't have it on the books. It's not as though you can go into court as Mr. X. You're too well known. I don't want to. I believe that if I go into court as myself, I can draw attention to the fault in the existing law. And I think that's, like, his real strength of character is that he's, like, finally managed to get the courage to, you know you know be his true self it's also it's kind of sweet because there are as he's making this decision and talking to people about this decision like his assistant you know when you do come out it's like they say it's like you know you'll find out who your true friends are like right away and like one of them is his assistant who's just like okay i expected at least one question don't you have any i've believed in your integrity for 10 years sir I can see no reason to question it now. He didn't outright say it, but like there was a sense of solidarity there. Yeah, he's like, it's cool. Yeah. He's like, you, you, you're good at your job. That's what I care about. Yeah. I've been dressing you for years now. <laughs> <laughs> but the driving force in the movie is that Barrett is being blackmailed. One of the photos has Mel in it, Mel being the star of the movie. And I looked up to see like... Not only did this involve inflation, but it involved different currencies as well. Oh, yeah. So this was all sorts of fun. <laughs> uh, so when Mel finds his friend on the street and asks for 20 quid, because mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he wanted to like get the fuck off the island. Right. Roughly speaking, 20 quid is $25.60 American. Okay, at, in 1960. In 1960, which works out to be $220.56 in 2018 money. Wow. Uh so I was like, okay, that's a that's decent... like a, a boat ride or, or plane yeah. ticket or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a sizable commute. Not unheard of amounts of money. But, yeah. Um, but Barrett had embezzled uh, 2,300 $2, quid Yeah. from various employers by the sounds of things. I thought, yeah, it was the from the construction company i thought yeah because he was like making up different employees to get paid yeah um and he was using this money to pay off the blackmailers right so 2300 quid is twenty nine thousand four hundred forty three dollars and 20 cents american which put into 2018 money is twenty two hundred fifty three thousand $672.76. That's not a small number. That's not a small number. (laughs) Which plays in really well, because in no scene is Barrett ever dressed nicely. Right. Like He lives in a basement apartment. Yeah. He's a lodger. Yeah. Like... I love that term. (laughs) But then that makes me wonder, like, 
What are the blackmailers spending all that money on? Because like I don't know, but they have they a were... chintzy little apartment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had to be all. They had they ha- would have to keep it low profile just because like this isn't taxable income. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Dark room supplies probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit's expensive. Yeah, yeah. Because every time you see Barrett, like he's just total blue collar. Lives in yeah basement apartment. He's just got nothing to show for his money, which is what raises red flags yeah with the police when they catch him for uh embezzling money yeah is that they're like you got nothing to show for it like and they're like this smells like blackmail so tell us who's blackmailing you and he's like i spent it no one's blackmailing me and uh he's afraid to tell them that he's being blackmailed because that means he also has to come out as a homosexual so that's why he eventually um offs himself because the strain is too much yeah the little boy barrett which was going to be the title of this movie i'm glad they went with victim oh was it really yeah boy barrett who wants to go see that I, well i mean i would but <laughs> <laughs> so they find out that he's linked to mel because he has this sort of like obsessive scrapbook of all the things mel's done yeah i wasn't totally sure like was barrett just like flat out obsessed with mel i kind of got that impression he was like this is the sugar daddy for me <laughs> <laughs> a lawyer uh, he's handsome he's my he's my guy he struck me as sort of a scrawny marcello mastrioni mm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. uh but uh yeah he, he was good looking i thought barrett was the cutest <clears throat> of, of the gay people in this yeah i would agree actually I, I kind of liked his boyfriend or whoever that guy that was living with him oh the subway token guy oh yeah he was cute too he I, was cute i forgot too. his name but um yeah those youngsters were cute I just well, I just wanted to bring up that like when the police finally do catch up with Barrett, he tears up the notebook and tries to flush it down the toilet so that they don't figure out that Mel's involved in this whole thing. And then they piece it back together and use it as evidence. And they're just like paging through it. And I was like, that was in the toilet, guys. <laughs> You're not even using gloves. It was a different time. They were probably more worried that a homosexual had touched yeah. it than it had been on the toilet. Has this been cleared of homosexual germs? <laughs> yes. How about shit? Oh, no. There's still a little bit of there. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'll just turn the page around it and licks his thumb and turns the page. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that actually would make sense. I thought that maybe it was a situation like the Roy Steeler where Barrett might have been pressured into like giving names and information on other homosexuals mm. and that he was keeping tabs on Barrett a little bit. But I think it would make more sense in the context of the movie for him just to be madly in love. That was kind of the impression I got. And that's why he asked um, his flatmate or boyfriend, whatever, at the time to give that parcel to him so he could throw it away so that Mel wouldn't be implicated. Like they could see a picture you know, they could maybe find the picture, but they may not know who it is. But if they found that packet, that would definitely link it to him. So, yeah. which it did. I really hated the blackmailers in this. Like, oh yeah, they, they're despicable. They got like right under my skin. They had that sort of smarmy assholery that strikes me as very real. Wait, are are you talking about the the like blind guy and? The other dude, the red herring blackmailers or the real blackmailers? The real black, like the dude on the motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, he just like absolutely 100% like got under my skin. Yeah. Uh, No, the red herring blackmailers who like, you know, pulled on people's heartstrings to like get money out of them. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Now, those people just seem like low lives, but uh, (laughs) 
the real they really bugged me i was like you guys are awful <laughs> they're so catty and queeny and just like bitchy <laughs> god they didn't mean that i don't know i was gonna say that's just my life goal so <laughs> no the real life one really bothered me because it just struck me as almost too real like he took joy in it yeah. and that's what bothered me like the other people were doing it because they like getting the money he seemed to actually enjoy watching people squirm or humiliating people. Yeah. And that's what about, like, it wasn't the money for him. It was that he liked putting people in these awful positions. And I kind of got the impression that he was a closet case because there's that scene where he's like, maybe just before he goes to paint on the garage door. Far is queer. Far is queer. Somewhere in there. I don't know. But he like... The camera, as he's leaving, pans up to a picture that he has of uh, Michelangelo's David. Yeah. And it's like, so he just has a naked man sculpture in his home. <laughs> I don't know. I got the impression that he, that was part of why he got off. Because, you know, it's like, you think about high school bullies. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're going to be constantly harping on you for being gay, homo, queer, like, oftentimes they're probably going to be gay themselves. Also, he wore, like, those leather jackets and, like... Well, I mean, if we're going on our, our uh, you know, this is the cruising of the 1960s, that would make sense because the killer in cruising, of course, was actually gay as well. Yeah. And so maybe that's just what got his rocks off was like extreme humiliation. Yeah. And then he goes home and he like does ball torture on himself or something. <laughs> CBT. Yeah. <laughs> but also that woman was really shitty. Like she was... Spoiler alert. Get that horn ready. <laughs> that was a surprise. That was... A fantastic twist. I'm glad you didn't see it because this time around, I, f- I totally forgot that that's what, who it was at the end. And I had a note earlier where I was like, I kind of like how bitchy this woman is. If anyone comes asking questions about boy... I'm not interested in your affairs, Mr. Doe. I'm just here for the salary on Friday. I was like, oh, I get it. That's me. Because <laughs> well, the movie is sort of showing different levels of tolerance and intolerance. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Barrett's friend that he asks money for, and he's very tolerant. His girlfriend is intolerant. We got the bartender who's two-faced about his intolerance. Mm-hmm. We've got Mel's wife. Yeah, who knows about Mel's urges, I guess, if he hasn't acted upon it. Or yeah. Maybe he did act upon it, but has, like, sworn it off since. Yeah. Uh, no, I think she says that he's never she- acted on it. Yeah, she knows that he had a relationship in college that was romantic, but I don't think any anything ever came of it. And so to find out that this indiscretion happened with Barrett for her was like the last straw. But then she comes around later and sees him as the person he is rather than He's like... He's got to get that D. Hey, <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> but that old lady who works in, in the bookstore, the way that she says, like, I don't care about your personal life. I'm just here for the salary on Fridays. I'm like, uh-huh. respect. <laughs> like, I get it. Like... You know, that's the sort of, like, intolerance that I can tolerate. Yes. <laughs> but then when she's talking about gays, she's, she's like the Louis C.K. version uh, of it, where it's just, like, people just sitting, getting angry about gay people. Uh-huh. It's like, mm, gay people exist! Uh! Yeah. They disgust me. And I found out about Mr. Doe and that boy. I felt physically ill. They're everywhere, everywhere you turn. The police do nothing, nothing. Someone's got to make them pay for their filthy blasphemy. She just gets upset at the idea that they are out there. Yeah. And she's like, when I found out that my boss was one of them, I couldn't take it any longer. (laughs) And instead of quitting my job and finding another one, I just got angry. Yeah. (laughs) I love books too much. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love having an entry level position <laughs> at a small bookstore too much to give it up. <laughs> I'm going to start blackmailing every gay I know. <laughs> I did like when she was arrested, though, and uh, she's like, hold on. One moment, please. Shoes. Coat. Ready. I did kind of like that. Uh, the officer's reaction too. He's like, "Oh yeah, of course, of course, course man." Like, oh, you're resting apologies. <laughs> so British. And she totally has that like bigoted response. She's like, "Well, of course the police are here to arrest us." Yeah, you know. And she's like, I-, "I imagine this is like in the police. It's rampant in the police department." Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if the police department was a bunch of homos? <laughs> Once again, don't ruin my fantasies. <laughs> They don't carry those knob sticks around for nothing. <laughs> I'm going to check your browser history and it's nothing but like <laughs> police porn. <Yeah. laughs> Jesus, Matt. <laughs> it's nothing It's nothing but gay guys going down on straight police officers. <laughs> Cuffs in the buff. One, <laughs> two, and three. Night stick. <laughs> there, we, there it is. There it is. Uh, a night in the slammer. Oh, good. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's gotta be some strip, strip search, strip search too. <laughs> You're better at this than I am. <laughs> I also kind of liked how Mel sort of takes matters into his own hands after a while. He's like the lawyer who becomes the like police investigator. I don't know. I just watched um, Making a Murderer Part Two, mm, and mm-hmm. uh, Kathleen Zellner is my new hero lately. She's just so cool. I don't know if you watched it or not, but I haven't. No. She's just like, I don't know who did it, but Stephen Avery didn't do it. And I just want to get to the bottom of this. And uh, I kind of feel like that's also what Mel's doing here. He's just like, I don't know what this crime is or what's going on, but we need to get to the bottom of it. We need to find out what's going on. Yeah, he's got a good character arc because Barrett is calling him pretty incessantly in the beginning. And he's ignoring it, like Mm. shutting it out. Because he thinks Barrett's trying to blackmail him. But then Barrett hangs himself in, in in the cell pretty early in the movie spoiler alert but that's what kicks mel into motion Mm -hmm. and he says at one point he's like if i hadn't been trying so bloody hard to avoid trouble this might never have happened because after that once he finds out that barrett had killed himself that's when he goes on the hunt for the blackmailers right that's an important transition like he was trying to you know just lead the quiet heteronormative life yeah good job beautiful wife And he would have gotten away with it if it weren't for that sexy construction worker. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, once Barrett died, he realized he's like, this this is like a moral injustice that I cannot stand with. And then really, like the majority of of the movie is just him accepting that like his closeted status is being chipped away at. Like the further that he goes after the blackmailers, the less that he can be in the closets after that. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, like the climax is him accepting that. He's got to do it. He's just going to come out of the closets. <laughs> I'd like to see victim two and everything's fine. <laughs> I want to say, uh, so this script was written by a woman, mm. Janet Green. She wrote it with her husband, whose name I didn't bother to write down because it was her idea. And Was based- it Philip Green? No, he had, a, he had a different last name. Oh, okay, because Philip Green did the score to this, and it has a pretty mm. memorable score to yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Very dramatic music. Yeah. Um, but she uh, she wrote this movie specifically for that reason. She was like, this law is bogus, mm-hmm. and I'm going to show people that it's bogus. And so she's like, we're going to make this movie because 
people need to see that like why this is stupid and mm-hmm. how easy it is to blackmail people with this junk. They talk about this with the hairdresser because he is gay and he's going to sell his shop and move to Canada. Yeah. But then the blackmailer comes in and starts roughing up the shop. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? You can't call the police. Like, because he'd already been to jail for it a couple times. and he Four felt, times, he said. And that he couldn't go to jail at his age anymore. God, can you imagine going to jail every time you had sex? <laughs> I mean, only only if they got those nightsticks handy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you wish. (laughs) Hello, officer. I'm having sex over here. (laughs) Read me my Miranda rights. (laughs) You want me to bend over the car? Okay. Ooh, frisk me. (laughs) Uh, What was I saying? (laughs) Oh, so he's selling his boutique, uh, his, his little hairdresser shop. And at some point, one of the characters say, like, oh, he pays his taxes like everyone else. But, like, when the blackmailer came in and was roughing up the shop, like, he couldn't call the police. And that was one thing, like, growing up in America where same-sex marriage was not allowed. Mm-hmm. When you're gay and you think about it, it does seem like a privilege then yeah. to get married. And then, like, now that we have marriage equality, it seems maddening to me that we didn't have it at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Guess what? Society didn't crumble. Well, I shouldn't say that quite. (laughs) But no, I think about that now. I'm like, you know, gay people are just as much a part of society and paid the same taxes as everyone else. And here they were like, especially in, what was it? The 2000, in 2004, three, when George W. Bush was like, we need to have a constitutional amendment defining marriage. Yeah, four. Because I remember watching that State of the Union address and standing up and being like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's weird to think now. It's like, you know, gay people are just as much a part of any society. Like, we pay the same taxes. And now you're just like, you do not get the same benefits as any other citizen. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems maddening to me now, but like growing up when that was normal, I didn't think twice about it. Like when like that state of the union came on, I was like, oh, that sucks. But I wasn't like, oh, my rights are being robbed of me because like I didn't even have them. Yeah. Like to me, like I, I didn't think anything of it. Like I didn't have these rights. So like them just codifying it seemed to make sense like oh this is what they do this is what republicans do mm-hmm. you're not wrong on that by the way <laughs> that is what they do that, yeah like that's that's what they get elected to do <laughs> but it just seems maddening to me now i'm like yeah like all these we all pay the same taxes into the same system to fund the same things as any other person is paying into this but somehow people are like oh yeah they shouldn't have the benefits of marriage like yeah. Well, and it's ridiculous in this movie, the idea that he can't keep his job anymore because he's a homosexual. You know, it's like, yeah, he's breaking a law, but it's a completely unjust law. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's what's maddening to me watching this is like, he he's just being himself and he hasn't even acted on any of these things. But because he's coming out and saying, like, I've had these urges, he's going to lose any career path he ever had. And it's such bullshit and so unfair yeah (laughs) you know he's clearly been you know working for society as a lawyer doing all these things and it's because people think that it's gross yeah (laughs) like that's what it boils down to it's like what you do in the privacy of your home in your own home is gross therefore you need to go to jail yeah 
I mean, we should mention that like England's law against homosexuality was struck down like six or seven years after this movie came out. It must be one of those things where, you know, post-World War II, like that's what the construction site is, I'm assuming, is rebuilding after all the bombings. Society in Europe is sort of taking a look at at itself and just being like, what are we doing, Mm -hmm. you know? And one of those things was like, no, we shouldn't be punishing homosexuals just because they have these feelings. Like, that is so fucking stupid. Yeah, I I mean... I mean, it took 15, 20 years after that, but still. (laughs) I mean, it's a low bar when just not punishing homosexuality is seen as a victory. Yeah. I don't know what the state of marriage equality in England is right now. I think they have it. Okay. I know over there it's different like the conservative party is for it because they're actually for giving people rights (laughs) so it's like you know the tory party over there is still like low taxes small government blah 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 but like they're for marriage equality low taxes small government gay marriage that's their platform platform. (laughs) or at least it was at at some point uh but i i yeah i don't know what it is i think they passed it a long time ago actually okay yeah Actually, let's look. Now I'm curious. Two thousand fourteen. Oh, not as early as I thought. Yeah. I, I seem to remember it wasn't that long ago. As of twenty eighteen, same sex marriages performed and recognized law in Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Iceland, Ireland, Luxembourg, Malta, Mexico, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Port- Portugal, South Africa. Spain, Sweden, and the United Kingdom, the United States, and Uruguay. Now do it like an Animaniac song. <gasps> Mexico, Panama, something, something. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I mean, that's like 12 countries out of the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not great. It's not I great. I mean, India's on their way. Well, at least they like now. Well, India just crossed the bar that England did in this where they're like, "Mm, let's not punish homosexuality anymore. Like that just happened. Yeah. Go India. (laughs) But I mean, it's also weird to think like in the grand scheme of things, like this movie's not that old. Like it's 57 years old. Like my mom's older than this movie. Yeah. So in my mom's lifetime, my mom's not British, but you know. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> Homosexuality went from like a criminal offense to being fully recognized and equal, at least under the law. Yeah. And 50 years in the grand scheme of justice isn't that long of a time either. That's true. And, you know, there's people working in the government still trying to bring laws, shit laws like this onto the law books. God, as this is our first episode post midterm elections yeah who uh, knows Ooh. we recorded this before the elections but this is coming out after the elections i'm just gonna keep a, a cynical skeptical brain because two years ago when we recorded before the election i was like we oh, got this yeah the blue wave here we come <laughs> on to the future this is a layup <laughs> and uh thanks to Russia and uh, James Comey. Lots of yeah. There's lots of factors that did not happen. So not going to make any promises this time. Back to victim. Do you have any more notes about it? Uh, no more notes other than I really like the uh, phrase "typical feminine logic." Yeah. <laughs> he seems lost since Helen died. I think he ought to get married again. Ronnie needs a mother. 
Why don't you tell him? You're his sister. I have. He doesn't seem to want to. Perhaps he's not in love with anybody. Well, he ought to be. <laughs> That's typical feminine logic. That whole staircase conversation was a little weird. Because <laughs> it's like, where, where is she getting off, number one? Where is he getting off? Like, what are you guys even talking about anymore? It is odd that this was written by a woman, and there's like, that phrase just struck me as so sexist. Yeah, maybe that's where her husband came in. He's like, you gotta... He's like, I'll ghostwrite this scene. <laughs> I just can't figure out this stair scene, honey. Can you help me? <laughs> Here, why don't you sit down and let me take care of this? I must be it. on your period. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go eat a ham salad or something? <laughs> Let a man write this dialogue. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Who's the victim in this, really? <laughs> it's the screenwriter. I did like how they used victim in this movie, like the word victim. Actually, yeah, I was. that's that's one my, probably my last note here, is that like the, the uh, chief investigator at the police station after Barrett leaves... Like, when they're talking about it, he's like... That boy's not a thief. More victim than criminal, if my supposition is right. I like that, because that's really the case. And that, and you can balloon that out to being like, homosexuals in general are more victims of this law than they are criminals. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this law is victimizing people who don't need to be treated this way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good, good title. Yeah, I mean, they use the term victim a couple times, mm-hmm. and it always seems to have purpose. So, no, I'm glad they changed it from Boy Barrett <laughs> to Victim, because, yeah. I, we haven't even talked about, like, Basil Dearden's, like, directing in this at all. It's not your typical stuffy British directing. Like, the camera moves a lot. It's very... He plays with darkness, too, a lot. Yeah, there's a part where, like, Mel's eyes, like, sort of have a Morticia Adams effect on it. Uh-huh. Just the way that the camera moves and, like, rotates or spins, like, it's almost... Like, I hate it when people say this. It's Hitchcockian in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not your typical, like, stuffy British drama. Like, there's, like, a sense of movement in this a little bit. Basil Dearden, I, I've heard of him, but this is the first movie of his I've ever seen. Oh, okay. Criterion released, like, a whole set of his movies. Like, this movie's in that set. Mm-hmm. He's always someone that I've been meaning to check out, but, like, didn't know where to start. Okay. And this was good. Like, I can see why Criterion chose him to, like, do, like, a director showcase. Because he really does direct the movie. He's got that classic early golden era of Hollywood style where you can't tell like when it's directed like that's not what the star of the movie is that's what i was gonna say my the main note i have on the directing is that it feels effortless Mm -hmm. like it really feels there's no confusion you know exactly what's going on but it feels stylish nonetheless i can't put my finger on what it was i'd have to watch it again to really to really say that but there wasn't any huge structural flares it was just like you know, the camera would pan or it would swing around or it would rotate around and it just, it just fit the mood of the scene. And I don't know, it, I, I want to see more Basil Dearden movies because like he was like a big deal, I guess, in the 60s at, the, at this time. Oh, okay. I also just want to say, good pick. Thanks. This is a movie that I think it would, like if not for this podcast, it would have taken me years to discover this, I think. I liked it quite a, quite a bit. Quite oh, a good. Bit. Uh, so not all the good movies you you haven't seen all the good movies yet. It's true. It's true.
there's a lot to like here. I don't know if this is a movie that I would recommend just on like, you can't just throw this out to anybody. Like this is a person who I think who has to be interested maybe in gay film and also sort of maybe in procedurals. I'd say if you're a, a movie movie fan, like if you're like, I don't want to say Cinefox, that's a dick thing to say, but like if you just really like watching movies, I feel like this is good because even if it's like your great aunt who doesn't know anything about filmmaking but just likes watching them, Mm -hmm. I think this is a great movie for that type of person. It is strangely compelling for an hour and 40 minutes, you know, like where not a ton happens. It's just sort of like a Law and Order episode. Yeah. I feel like you could recommend this to just someone who just really enjoys movies. Agreed. What do you have? In store for next week the exact opposite <laughs> this was a very adult movie and now we're going into your childhood yeah oh it's Gra- gonna, everyone grab your necks because we're gonna be, oh it's gonna be bad we're gonna get whiplash it's gonna be bad uh this is one that i i don't think i've watched since i was single digits mm-hmm. mm. and i'm positive it's just gonna be terrible oh dear a little movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2. Oh, no. Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> I, uh, is that the one with Vanilla Ice or was yeah. that the first? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, that's the one with Vanilla Ice. Dude. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, like, it's going to be bad. Yikes. Okay. Well, uh, great. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, until then, do you want to just plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Follow us on Twitter at x-rated movies yeah check out our facebook page rated x movies a lot of people have been jumping on there and commenting on things i'm looking at you jessica the linchpin i love it we love knowing that you're listening and that you have thoughts about it so keep doing that go to our website where all of our shit is xratedmovies.com and if you want to send us an email which is totally acceptable it's fine we won't blackmail you for it or turn you into the police that is x.rated.movies at gmail.com and all of the x's that we've said are ex which you probably know by now so you know we'll see you next week for tmnt2 t-s don't Until then, keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye-bye.